It is never easy when you stand in front of people and share the word of God. You know, you, we, we, we are a conduit pipe. We don't stand here and um, do motivational speaking. We don't speak our words, but we speak the words from God. As unworthy as we are, we have to put up a brave face and stand here and share what God has entrusted us with. This reminds me of a story of a general. So they were out at war. The first day, the messenger comes to the general and says, General, general, I see on the horizon the enemy is coming. They're coming with one tank. The general says, good job, soldier. Get my red coat. The soldier gets the red coat. They go out to battle. They win. The next day, the messenger comes again. General, general, the enemy is coming again. This time, they're coming with five tanks. The general again says, good job, soldier. Get my red coat. He gets the red coat. They go out to battle and they win. That night, the messenger says, you know what? I need to ask him why does he keep sending me to get the red coat every time somebody is coming. He asks the general. The general says, it's so that when we're in battle and I get wounded, the troops won't get to see my blood. Because if they see my blood, they'll be spooked and they might not focus on the battle. The messenger thought this was very, very profound. The next day, the messenger comes again. General, general, the enemy is coming. This time they're coming with a hundred tanks. The general says, good job, soldier. Please go get my brown pants. All right. Somebody will explain to you. (laughs) So this is week three of our study into the book of Daniel. The first week, Uncle Natala introduced to us four young men from the royal family. This was the family of, of Judah. They were prisoners of war. So they were captured by the Gentile king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were taken to Babylon. Aginatala again very modestly described to us that the four young men were as strong and as handsome as he was, or as he is. As a result, they were chosen to be trained so they can serve in the king's royal palace. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uncle Natala again explained that they were renamed to strip them of their Hebrew identity and their belief system. You should know that the book of Daniel has 12 chapters. The first six chapters are a historical recording of events. And the next six chapters, these are visions and apocalyptical or prophecies and guidance guidance regarding the end of days. It is important to note that the book of Daniel, according to scholars, it's one of the most researched books. And I'll explain to you just now why it's one of the most researched books. 
Then last week, Romagorella introduced to us King Nebuchadnezzar. He gave us great context into the character of the king, taking us through the history. He explained how King Nebuchadnezzar defeated King Jehoiakim of Judah, then took prisoners of war. He then went on and touched on chapters 1 through to chapter 3. He then took us on a Bible study of chapter 4. Chapter 4 is actually an affidavit written by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Romagorel explained basically how pride comes before the fall. Do you remember last week? How Nebuchadnezzar's pride, even when Daniel warned him 12 months before the fall, how he was still consumed by the trappings of his achievements and forgot the interpretation that Daniel had given him regarding his vision. He told us how if you're not humble, if you don't humble yourself before the Lord, the Lord will humble you. The Lord will humble you. At the end of the chapter, the king, basically this is a letter that he wrote to his nations that he was king, or who he was, the nation that he was ruling over. And then at the end of the chapter, he says in verse 27, Break away from your sins and exhibit your repentance by doing what is right. This is the king saying, my people repent. Because he saw firsthand what God can do. But even better yet, apart from the punishment that he got, he saw the mercy of God firsthand when God restored him. I was still together, church. Before we get into this morning's teaching, I must confess, I'm absolutely absorbed by this book of Daniel. It's such a rich book to study. You know, it has so many prophecies, and every time somebody says or somebody important questions the book, a prophecy becomes true, or an archaeological discovery is made to prove Daniel right. So at the end, people have given up. They have now, they now believe that this book was actually written by Daniel when he wrote it, and they believe the prophecies contained therein. Please engage with this book at home. For me, it has really blown my mind. It has shown and enhanced my understanding of God's sovereign power. You know, this English word sovereign doesn't even explain its meaning properly. I don't like the word sovereign, but there is no other word. It, it tries to explain how powerful, how supreme, how God is the absolute ruler of everything. And with our minds, we don't, we don't understand that. We don't get to see that. But this book gives us a glimpse into that. Anyway, my wish is that we all get to read this book at home. All right. So this morning, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to give you a short synopsis of the book. I'm going to summarize it. Then we'll go into it verse by verse. Is that all right? Are we still together, church? It's fine. All right. Okay, let me give you a short summary of the book of um, Daniel chapter 5. It's a very quick and dramatic book, or chapter rather. 
everything happens within 24 hours. A kingdom is changed within 24 hours. It starts with a king, King Belshazzar. He's throwing the mother of all parties, a party for the ages. Just imagine 2,000 plus guests. He's there with them, drinking. He's with them, he's with his wives and his concubines. He drinks some wine, and as it usually happens, if you drink a little bit too much alcohol, you start making some very terrible mistakes. He made some life-changing, rather kingdom-changing mistakes. Then God sends a hand to write on the wall. The hand writes something that he cannot decode. The king gets scared. Immediately he calls all his wise men and no one can decode the message. The mother hears the, the noise and she walks in and she reminds him that there was a man who helped your father or rather your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Daniel. So Daniel comes in. He tells the king his mistakes, decodes the message. That same night, the meats go under the city wall, capture the city, and kill the king. And throughout all that, a 150-year-old prophecy in Isaiah 44 and 45 gets fulfilled. That is chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. Are we good? Can we go? Let's get into it. I've titled my message, The Writing is on the Wall. I think it's proper that we start from the last verse of chapter 4, that is verse 37. Remember, this is the affidavit by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven. This guy who was so full of himself, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven. For his works are true and faithful, and his ways are just. And he's able to humiliate and humble those who walk in self-centered, self-righteous pride. All right. So 20 to 30 years pass between chapter 4 and chapter 5. King Nebuchadnezzar dies and his son Nebuchadnezzar becomes king. But Nebuchadnezzar is not interested in this whole king thing. So he decides to take some supplies and goes on a trip to foreign lands. He leaves his son in charge. His son is Belshazzar. So Belshazzar is in fact Nebuchadnezzar's grandchild. In that culture, the word father can refer to a biological father or any male ancestor who, might, who you might have. So father can be anyone, as long as they're in your lineage. All right. Let's go into chapter 5. Belshazzar the king, who was the descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of a thousand guests. Verse 2. Belshazzar, as he tasted the wine, as he tasted the wine, he gave a command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out from the temple which was in Jerusalem 
so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold and silver vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine, and this is what they did, and praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Just imagine, so this is what was happening right there. The city was under attack. The king knew very well. But as a king, he decides to throw a feast. Instead of being in the forefront of the battle, he's hosting this mother of all parties. Belshazzar knew that the walls of Babylon were known throughout the land as impenetrable. And historians say Babylon had enough food supplies to last them 20 years. So Belshazzar couldn't be bothered. Those meats will be at the gate for days, maybe for months. They will give up and go away. So that's what he thought. The Bible says he gave a great feast with a thousand of his nobles, drinking wine with a thousand guests. He had his wives and his concubines there. In the modern language church, this was downright an orgy. And if you don't know what an orgy is, good for you. Verse 2. As he tasted the wine, he gave a command. <laughs> Proverbs 31 verse 4 to 5 tells us this. I'll read it from the message version. Leaders, leaders cannot afford to make fools of themselves, gulping wine and swelling beer. Lest hung over, they don't know right from wrong, and the people depend on them, or the people who depend on them, get hurt. Leaders cannot afford to be drunk with wine. Lest hung over, they don't know right from wrong, and the people who depend on them get hurt. Isn't that wisdom? So Belshazzar makes a grave mistake. You see, not only is he sinning by not, by not acknowledging God, the God of his grandfather, he decided to mock God by calling for the sacred vessels that his grandfather had brought from the God's temple in Jerusalem 70 years ago. The sacred vessels were only to be used by the priests during ceremonies and not by any other person for any other reason. Now, he's now using those sacred vessels to drink wine with wives, nobles, and concubines at this flamboyant orgy. As if that was not enough, in his state of drunkenness, he further mocks the one true God by toasting and praising to the God of silver, gold, etc., He has Hebrew servants seeing all this. So he's very much communicating to them that the God that you value, your God, this is what I think of him as we do what we are doing. This is what I think of him. Sheer arrogance. Just a side note, 
as we start getting a glimpse of God's sovereign power. Let's check out what happened in 1 Daniel 2. 1 Daniel chapter, uh, verse 2. The Lord gave him victory over Jokahim, Jehoiakim. Gave who? Gave Nebuchadnezzar. So the Lord is the one that gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over Israel or over Judah. And the Lord permitted him to take the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of God. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take the sacred objects. Nebuchadnezzar valued those sacred objects so much, he put them in his safe. It's just very interesting that God actually allowed Nebuchadnezzar to do that. I actually think verse 2 of, of Daniel 1 is a whole sermon on its own on the sovereignty of God. Anyway, let's get back to the life of the party. The main man, King Belshizzi. Oh, goodness. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed. Countenance's face. His countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Put yourself in Belshazzar's shoes for a second. Everyone is singing your praise. 2,000 plus people are having a jolly good time. I mean, your ego has an ego. That's what was happening. Then suddenly, you see a hand appearing on the wall, writing a strange message. Just imagine everything comes to a screeching halt. Verse 6 says, his face changed. He thought, his thoughts started troubling him. This was guilt, church. I bet he sobered up immediately. His knees started knocking violently. And his hips were loosened. Do you know what it means when, they say, when the Bible says his hips were loosened? Other translations say his loins were loosened. The best way I can explain that is that before he called for the sacred vessels, he should have called for his brown pants. True story, church. God cannot be mocked. As a man sows, sows so shall he reap. This night and its happenings, including the king's soiling of his pants, was a 150-year-old prophecy that was fulfilled. In the book of Isaiah 44 and 45, we read a letter to King Cyrus, 150 years before King Cyrus was born. Uh, we'll get into, the, into the, the message of that letter a little bit later. But in verse 1 of Isaiah 45, the Lord tells Cyrus, I will loosen the loins of kings. And that's exactly what happened that night. The sovereignty of God is scary, friend. 
Okay, let's carry on in verse 7. The king cried out loud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Midala spoke about this last week. I'm in trouble. What do I do? I call on my degrees. I call on my bank account. I call on my PhD. I think I've got enough money to appease and smoothen and bribe myself out of any situation. But we know when God's time comes, those earthly things and those powerful friends we have, none of them will help. They never helped King Belshazzar. The queen, who's probably his mother or his grandmother, heard what was going on and came to the party. We know that it couldn't have been his wife because the Bible told us that he was partying with his wives and concubines earlier on. So we can assume that this was either Nebuchadnezzar's wife or his father's wife. Let's pick it up in verse 8 to verse 10. Are we still together, church? I'm not losing anyone. All right. And then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or reveal to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly perplexed. His face became paler, and his nobles were bewildered and alarmed. Verse 10. Now the queen mother, overhearing the excited words of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet area. The queen mother spoke and said, and this was a normal greeting in those times, O king, live forever. Don't be alarmed by your thoughts and don't let your face be changed. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In whom is the spirit of the holy God. Let me pause there. So while they are toasting and celebrating the God of this and the God of that. In actual fact, his mother knew that there's only one true God. And you'll, you'll soon find out that even Belshazzar knew. But he chose to do what he did anyway. Let's carry on. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I wonder why she repeated that. It's like she wants, to, she wants to scold him, but because he's king, all she can do is just repeat that you should have remembered your father, your father the king. Anyway, your father the king made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of God, of the holy God. Remember th- this party was happening 70 years after they had taken over um, the, the, the captives and they had destroyed Judah. So when they, take, when they took over the captives, Daniel and his friends were in their teens. So 70 years later, Daniel must have been in his late 80s by now. Yet he must have left such a, left such a great impression on the, on the queen that she remembered him. Verse 13. 
Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that, Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I don't know if you can hear the arrogance and the condescending voice. This man is standing there with brown pants and he's saying, are you that, Daniel, the one that, that we captured, the one who's a slave to us? He still has the nerve. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you. The mother said the spirit of God is in him. But he's still, he's still rebelling. Instead of saying the spirit of God, he says, the spirit of the gods is in you. And that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Now the wise men and the enchanters were brought in before me so that they might read this writing and reveal its meaning to me. But they could not give me the interpretation of this message. Verse 16. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the... Here comes the bank account. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Even in his arrogance, King Belshazzar shows clear desperation. He reckoned he can lure Daniel with gifts, honor, and power. You see, Belshazzar was technically second in command because his father is the king and his father left um, and left him in charge. So pretty much he's giving everything that he can give, which is telling Daniel that he can be the third ruler of the, of the nation. He thought his power... will lure him. He thought his power, because he knows with the rest of his wise men, if he had given such a sweet deal, there's no way they wouldn't have taken it. But not Daniel. Daniel says in verse 17, keep the gifts for yourself or give them to someone else. In modern slang, that is, that can be explained as something very, very rude. Pretty much saying, you and your gifts can get stuffed. But anyway, he carries on and he says, I will read the writing to the king and reveal its interpretation. At this point, Daniel could have just read the writing on the wall, but he took this opportunity to first tell Belshazzar what Belshazzar already knew. He says, in, starting from verse 18, O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and, a, and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all the peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he, whoever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, 
and they took his glory from him. Verse 21. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. They fed him with they fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven, till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Now here comes wisdom. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Let me pause there. Everything that happened to your grandfather, you knew about it. You knew his journey, and you knew where his journey ended. It ended with him repenting. It ended with him having his glory restored to him. It ended with him giving praise to the one true God. You knew all this. You can't plead ignorance. You can't say nobody told you. You knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have lifted yourself up. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which don't see nor hear nor know. And the God who and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. You have not glorified. Daniel did not mince his words. He tells the king that you knew all this, yet you refused to learn. Your grandfather got too big for his boots. And you decided to walk in the same way as him. Don't we all need a friend like Daniel? A friend who tells us the hard truth. Because he cares about us and doesn't really care how the hard truth makes you feel. Doesn't want to nurse your feelings. Tells you the hard truth. I like how he emphasizes you. You did this. You knew about this. You drank. You gave the sacred vessels to your concubines. You did it. Daniel was like, if you want to kill me, kill me, but I will tell you the truth today. And after that tough talk, there was still a small matter of interpreting what was the writing on the wall. I cannot imagine how Belshazzar felt. Because indeed he knew all this. So Daniel carries on, verse 24, and he says, God God then sends the, the fingers of a hand and then the fingers started writing on the wall. Right. And what did the fingers write? And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, you passen. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered 
Your, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tackle. You have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. You, the king, have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. This is a direct consequence of Belshazzar's pride and arrogance. It's a moment of truth, like getting your exam results back and realizing that instead of partying, you should have studied. Except for Belshazzar, there are no more supplementary exams. It's too late for Belshazzar. Even though he kept his word to Daniel, he, he made him third ruler in charge of everything. We read in chapter, in chapter 5, verse 30 to 31. It says, But that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. That very night he was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who humbled himself and repented, Belshazzar's judgment happened suddenly and immediately. This chapter had me thinking, what are the sacred vessels in my life that God has put in my care and I'm not honoring God with them? This is big, church. Am I playing Russian roulette with my talents? Am I playing Russian roulette with my marriage? Am I playing Russian roulette with the way I raise my children, my resources, my opportunities? More importantly, am I taking care of the sacred vessel that houses the Holy Spirit, which is my body? Or am I exposing it to earthly lusts? I would like each one of us to take this moment and privately reflect, church. I believe a loving and gracious God is writing things on your personal wall right now. He's lovingly showing you areas of your life where you are like Belshazzar, where you have let pride and, dare I say, arrogance get rooted. Family, this is not time to harden our hearts. Nebuchadnezzar got 12 months warning. Belshazzar got no warning. It happened immediately. We cannot say, thank you God for showing me what you are showing me. Thank you for showing me the sacred vessels that I'm not taking care of. But God, I will address it some other time. I'll do it another day. You are not promised another day. Let us choose this morning to soberly respond with humility and obedience. Proverbs 8 verse 13 reads, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Church, I'm here to tell you that if you are shown 
those sacred vessels that you are not taking care of, you will not be able to be righteous on your own. You will not be able to address this thing on your own. We will remain Belshazzars if we try to get clean on our own. And us thinking, I'll get it right, I will do this, I will do that, that is pride speaking. That is pride speaking. It is not about performance. It's not about our good deeds. It's not about the charities I give to, the good work I do, the people I help. That will not make us righteous. Those things are good, but I'm here to tell you they're meaningless if they come from a life that's living outside our Lord Jesus Christ. A righteous God has made a way for us to be righteous. And that way is in faith in Christ Jesus. As the worship team comes up, I would like us as a church to stand and pray out loud for ourselves and for each other. Let's pray for about three minutes, then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for the lessons from your holy scriptures. Help us recognize the areas in our lives where pride and arrogance has taken root. Teach us, O oh Lord, to live in humble submission to your sovereignty, acknowledging your ultimate authority over all of our lives and over the world. We don't want to knowingly or unknowingly dishonor you with the sacred vessels you have entrusted us with. Father, this morning we thank you for showing us the writings on our own personal walls and giving us the courage to make the necessary changes through Christ. We say this morning to you, Lord, we are sorry and we repent. And through the faith we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, we accept your forgiveness and we accept your invitation for a true non-religious relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Amen.